You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. So welcome back, folks. Yes, we are on a journey here with Lisa discussing 10 years of her life, 10 years that I think most of us would have probably had either a nervous breakdown, shook our heads about where we living. Are we living in a movie? What is real? What is what is fake? Is the system here to protect us? Who can protect us? Shocking as it is. Before the break, we were discussing about the guards and the unit and the people that you knew and the, the, you know, being brought to the police station and, you know, being released and our car being bashed up. And, and this isn't the end of this tale or this reality check for us all. And, just before as well, Lisa was informing us about our house and the banks. And then an extra layer of craziness kicked in when the sheriff was knocking on the door. Lisa, tell us what happened. Joe, thank you. And I just, you know, in going through this journey, and thank you for giving me the space today, I mean, I've recorded it on emails to to all of the people of responsibility for 11 years. It was the only thing I could do. And I'd recommend everybody does keep everything in writing. And when you're in a vulnerable situation, you can end up in another one and another one and it can cascade. And that's what happens. And that's why people find it very difficult to deal with people who have been smashed against rocks because they can't keep up with what has happened. So when uh, the sheriff then told me he was coming to take my house and literally I was going to be on the streets. And as you remember, I have an, um, a false accusation of reckless endangerment over me with the DPP and five statements against me. I didn't know what to do. I was frozen or where to turn to. And no solicitor or barrister will deal with this because there's so much you know, in in my story, so many participation um, and facilitation from the legal system themselves that it was too hot to handle. So I had to handle it myself. So I did something which was really difficult at the time. And I'll give you that video to put up if you want to. I made a Facebook live video on the topic of shame to try to keep the sheriff from the door while Lily Rose was doing her leave insert. So this would have been February 2019 and I couldn't believe 30,000 people watched it and it was just around the time that the Roscommon do you remember those thugs had went in and beaten up the ex-guard and they come from the north and all of that so I was trying to look for reassurance from the city sheriff that I wouldn't have uh, unlicensed men from the north with balaclavas smash my door in and do what they did to other people and to my children and he wouldn't give me any such Assurance. I then contacted the, the licensing board for uh, security and there was no licensing there. And actually my friend and Reardon had been part of the, the licensing thing as well. It was just quite remarkable, but they, would, they didn't have to be licensed. So you could literally have any criminal come into your door paid for by the sheriff, paid for by the bank and the sheriff acts as registrar and the sheriff, it's a whole mess. So I said to the girls, look, I will lock myself down here in the house until you do your leaving cert. Now, this was February, so we'd March, April, May, June, and I ended up being locked down for 54 days in my house on my own, making these videos every night, 
emailing the courts, emailing, asking GSOC or the Gardaí to help and to say, look, I didn't get to do my appeal in the high court. Probably turned out to be better in the end, but I didn't because I didn't have the full evidence of the fraud at the time. But I, I, I was glued here and people brought me food, etc. Nobody would help me. The guards, GSOC, nobody. And I had to make a video knowing that I was going public and that any day I could be then accused and smeared by Angarda Shiakona for attempted murder or reckless endangerment. So the day after my first video and it got so much uh, views, I got a call from Bray Garda Station and the chief superintendent sent up two, two guards or two sergeants to my house and I didn't know what they were going to say. And they said, look, we wanted to tell you ourselves the DPP has come back with no prosecution against you on either trespass or reckless endangerment. And I said, and what about the five caution statements that were obviously lies? But there doesn't seem to be anything done about that. So they told me, you know, everything's okay now from our end and blah, blah, blah. So I was left then sitting on my own. I then reached out to the commissioner and asked for assistance in the fact that the non-licensed PSA, I rang the sheriff one day and I actually caught it on recording on live, which is on YouTube for people to see under Lisa Temple and City Sheriff. And I reported him for for threatening me, which he was indirectly and putting me in harm and fear. The Gardaí took a statement, but then that caused mayhem because all of a sudden the Gardaí and the DPP had to deal with the city sheriff threatening. And of course, that went nowhere um, because you cannot touch the banking system. You cannot touch the system. You cannot um, highlight where the corruption is and the, the, the harm is to, to decent people in their dwelling in their constitutional rights. You just can't do that because our government and our courts and our guardi are serving the globalists. They're not serving the people. Um, so this 52 days of videos went on. And then another layer happened. All of these activists or people who said they were activists contacted me and were suggesting do a, do a, do a, uh, go to maps or, you know, do this or do that and do that. And these are the these are the last line that victims have or activists. And half of them, to be honest, I don't know whether they're working on behalf of the courts or the government or the banks and the other half just don't know what they're doing. They're all injured themselves. And I remained on my own and I became more and more isolated because there's a lot of mistrust out there in the world with activists about who's doing what and what. But I stood alone in my position and um, the banks backed off. But then I contacted a TD and he said to me, we'll deal with the guard. No, we'll deal with the banks first, then the guards and then the family courts. And he brought me in to meet Bank of Ireland. We had a four hour meeting and it went extremely well, so well that the TD was surprised. And we went away, but again, the hidden hand came in and they wouldn't deal with the the evidence that were in front of them for fraud and they were still going for repossession of the house. I was back and forward with the family courts, with the guardie, and also in the middle of it, GSOC then were putting pressure on me to complete my, my report. And I said I couldn't leave my house because of the, the sheriff. And I mentioned the section 109 that I had escalated to Charlie Fanagan about GSOC breaching that lady's that woman's GDPR and forcing my statement. Charlie Flanagan's office didn't deal with it. It was sent back to GSOC. 
And then the woman in GSOC was so, she, she went and I got a phone call from Tufla. And Tufla are like the chitty chitty bang bang out of the movie, you know, the child kidnapper in Ireland. And this lady, Aideen, rang me from Tufla and said, oh, I've just had a report that your children are locked in the house and not going to school and not being fed. And I said, what? I said, who reported me? And she said, GSOC. And I said, so GSOC, Alan Morris McCabe, are using Tusla. I said, they never, never even asked me or care, neither the guards nor GSOC, about how my children are. I said, they're going to school every day. Lily's doing her leave insert. So I had to get about 25 people that I knew and the schools to write to Tusla and tell them that they were attending school, that they were fine and that it was me locked down, keeping a roof over their head, not them. So Tusla backed off and that was fine. But I asked them to clarify the fact. I asked Bernard Loster up until recently. And I and again, all of my emails are available for anyone that wants to under Freedom of Information Act. I asked him, is he happy to work for an organization that is used as a weapon of abuse when another section like GSOC um, are challenged for acting in a in a in a less than professional and possibly criminal fashion themselves or coercive and he of course you know the system the process to this that and the other but uh, he never he never said no uh, because they are used because this is how all the abusers are protected they go to different systems and processes so um lily rose did her leave insert and i'm happy to say she's in trinity she's now in third year and I had to deal with, you know, the, the effect of all of this had on myself and Anu. And we had an amazing doctor. And the, the TD backed off as well. Um, he told me that there was, you know, that he couldn't understand what the power was behind everything. But he backed off, as they all do. And I was kind of left alone again and, and wondering with this repossession order that was over my head and still is on the fraudulent bank dealings and I was cleared um, and you know we got through that year and then COVID hit so I was well trained in for lockdown and you know suffering from PTSD but my doctor you know sent in evidence to GSOC and GSOC came back and said no nope, uh, no fault with the guards um, all they did was took a statement from me. They didn't question any witnesses. They didn't question my children. My daughter came in with me to make the statement. I gave them the evidence. I've never heard what the other guards said. They never put it to me. So I would have been quite happy to have faced all of them, um, even in court, if it was necessary. But I've never had to face them. So they basically took whatever was said, no investigation that I was aware of, no, no questioning me on what they said. And they dropped the whole thing. And COVID hit. And at this stage, I I couldn't. I had to close my business in Bray because I would drive out to Bray and the guards would be laughing at me. I heard from other guards the smear campaign that had happened in my hometown. I would have panic attacks when I drove out and I saw a squad car. And that became worse during COVID because when I did have to drive to Bray, they had this permanent with a cup of tea section and a toilet section set up to stop the good people on their journey under the so-called COVID stops. And every time I drove by and my car was recognisable, um, I would find out they would stop me and they would ask me where I was going and the unit would be there. And I said, I don't have to tell you where I'm going. And I did know 
the law and I did study the acts and look and I said my journey is lawful then they pull me into the side of the road and they checked my papers and on one occasion when the unit was there and a guard from step aside said that I didn't have my tax disc in the window and I was like, why is my tax disc not in the window? And I, I pulled out and I showed him on my phone. This was November. It had been paid from August for six months. And then he walked off and said, whatever, it doesn't matter. And I had actually put him on notice for a hundred euro for my time and 15,000 to the commissioner for my time, which I subsequently billed him. And um, he walked off. I got out of the car and I found my disc was in the window and I went after him and I showed it to him and I saw the unit. Of course, they're all wearing their masks and they're sniggering and stuff. And I didn't hear any more. And then on another occasion, I was stopped again, this time with my two children. They pulled us in for 17 minutes uh, just there at the Bray roundabout. The girls were very upset. Um, again, the same trauma. And this time I started to cry. And the guards were laughing and Lily Rose got out of the car, got lover in a freezing cold. And she went after them and she started to stand up to them. And I saw them laughing and I got out of the car. And when I say I let rip, I informed them about contract law. I informed them that their company, they were working for a corporate enforcer, informed them that they were breaching. And then I told them everything that I thought of that break guard station. And then I got no ticket in the door, but I got a um, a DPP thing for having no display of tax. And it was in Judge Kennedy, David Kennedy's court in Bray. So I went out. This is only recently, last month or two months ago. I went out to Bray Court. I have my tax disc, but in advance, I emailed the judge all the evidence, including the video. And I said, look, I am being harassed by Bray Garda Station, Shankill and, and this group. And I said, they just, they believe what their colleagues are saying. I've been smeared. And I said, here's the evidence. So when I went out into the court, my girls came with me because I also trained them in, in as much how to protect themselves with law in this dangerous time that we're in. Because every time you go outside the door now, everyone's in danger you know, from some Jerusalem prancing guard who thinks he's now been clapped on the Late Late Show and they can do whatever they want, which is what we have now. And we went to the court, we sat down and surprisingly, the guard who had been put on notice and who had been invoiced. And I, by the way, I think I invoiced him for 1500 euro. I mentioned that if they paid the Bray Women's Refuge 500 euro, that the bill, you know, but they are billed and they do owe, they do owe me both of the guards. And the one that brought up the DPP file to the house, I wasn't here, sat outside in a squad car for 17 minutes and my daughter rang me panicking. She didn't know who it was. And this is the type of harassment that we've had. So in front of the judge then, the guard got up and gave his evidence. And he basically said, on this date, she was stopped and I checked and I didn't see the disc. But then he said, I have to tell you, judge, I did see the disc. So I didn't have to cross-examine him because the evidence in front of the judge, the guard said he didn't see it, then he did see it, it was presented, it was paid. So I presented my disc to the judge. I said there's no need to cross-examine the guard. His own evidence actually shows that there was no crime committed. And the judge looked at me and he said, are you suggesting the guardee are corrupt? And I said, I'm, I'm, that's a statement of fact. Yes, they are. And they are harassing us. But I said, that's not before you. And he asked me to tell the story, which would have been me opening something not before him at the court. And I said, I'm up for a tax disc. I've paid it. And he looked at me with these narrow little eyes. And I, I would have had respect for that judge. 
And he said 200 euro for non-payment of tax. And the court actually took a deep breath. And again, the same energy that I felt in all of the courts, I thought, and I know friends of Judge David Kennedy, and they would have always thought he was a good person. And so was I. But there was something else. So I just slowly closed my thing. I said, I'm not going to say anything. And I left the court and the two court guards that were there came out after me and they said, what name of God was that? And I told them. So I went home and I thought, what am I going to do here? And I said, this is fraud. I'm not participating in fraud. So I wrote a letter to David Kennedy and to the guardie and I drove out to Bray and I stapled 200 euro in cash to the letter, which had a stamp on it. And I told him from an arbitrator's perspective that his ruling was capricious, it was malicious and it was without founding. And I said, here's 200 quid for you, judge. You spend it whatever way you want, but I'm not paying that fine. And subsequently, then I get a letter saying that I've paid the fine. But when I dropped it down, they said, do you want to do a judicial review or, or an appeal? And I said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not getting me into this jurisdiction. I said, I'm not entering into your courts. I said, and another thing, on, on an occasion, I met Charlie Flanagan and I have a photograph of it I had on my Facebook page. And we spoke for 20, 25 minutes. And Charlie, of course, had had millions of emails from me asking him to do his job, which, again, you shouldn't ask anyone to do. And we stood there talking and he was wearing this hat and this long black coat. And Charlie Flanagan has the softest hands when he shakes your hands. Like the man has only ever been a solicitor. He's never, I don't know, just really soft hands and his hat. And he said to me, you're not safe in the courts. He said, you're very, I um, have to think of the word now because solicitors use, I have to think of the word. He said, you tell the truth and you're very compelling. And he said, there are men in this country that detest women like you. And I said, yes, Charlie, I know, because they didn't have a mother like me. And the majority of men in this country, or a lot of them, were thrown into boarding school. And they were groomed for this time out of their masculine divine, out of their ability to play the part for the pyramid system. I said, I know exactly what's going on. And another thing I need to mention is it did come to my attention in 2018 that the diaries that my ex-husband had written to me and the letters about nightmares of abuse that happened as a child were not actually nightmares. And that the other man who was abused with him, he con I contacted him and I read out the diaries and I said, is this true? Because he was mentioned in it. And he said, yes. And he said, but it doesn't excuse what he did. And he said, if men were abused as children, he said they still shouldn't be allowed to get away with. They're still making choices. So that was really upsetting for me. And I brought this to the attention. And subsequently, that man was found drowned in a river down near where they were abused. And my heart goes out to him. He was a lovely person. And his family wrote an appeal to every man who had been a victim of abuse to deal with it because it gets more difficult as you get older. And I have put all of this in writing as well. And I believe that that was covered up. Um, or inadequately dealt with through the courts as well. And I think I'll say here now that the this hiding of abuse victims in Ireland is the glue that holds all of the pyramids together. We know that from Epstein and Ghislaine. I know that from Bruce and the Asian ladies activities. It is the best form of destruction of a man's mind, whether they were directly abused or whether they were in the environment of abuse in the schools. Um, and it didn't just happen in the Artane boys and in the church schools. It happened in the private schools as well, as we as is on, on fact. And a lot of those men are in very serious positions 
of authorities. And I would say that's why they have hidden a lot of the, the files that came out about the abuse that happened. And that's a fact. That's not speculation. It's a fact that Irish people's shadow carry with them. And there's a lot of men out there probably listening to this and they're struggling with that. And I'll tell you, it wasn't your fault. People were, no matter how they groomed you or tricked you, you were the child and they were the adult. And what they did to you was they keyed your brain and they control you every day since. And all of everything I've said have been put in writing and nothing has been disputed. So I think that brings us up to now. As I said, I've written to Judge David Kennedy recently and I said, you know, please correct the fact that I paid your fraudulent fine against me. I didn't. You paid it. I don't know how you're going to put that on record, but I don't participate in fraud and abuse against myself and my children anymore from anyone. And I do not refer to Drew Harris as commissioner. He is Drew. He is a man. I am a woman. And the attorney general and all of these people and all of these guards and all of these doctors and experts, they are personally liable, personally responsible, morally, spiritually, the banks, the sheriffs, they can no longer hide behind a pyramidical system in order to abuse people. And people talk about Morris McCabe and he got a settlement. Morris McCabe was hung out and re-abused, just like the cervical cancer victims. And every single person here that reads a newspaper article about a rape victim or a trauma victim or the, the partner of that wife last week from the Garda whose fingers were broken and got three months, those courts have re-abused them for the, for the feeding. And what they're doing is every abuse victim is reading that and saying, I, I'm so hurt. I wouldn't be able and strong enough to go through being dragged through the courts. And that's why they are there. They are not there to dish out justice. They are there to do theatre, to drag people through. So they, the newspapers who work for them as well will then report it. And everybody sees the dirty headlines, the salacious headlines. And I was never going to allow my daughters go through that. And this is my story with my voice. And I had no problem in facing any of them. And I have invited the, my, the two men that I trusted in my life to step forward and tell the truth. And yesterday, more harm and damage was done. And today, because nobody will do their jobs. And I spoke to Christina McCormick in the chief state solicitors. She looked at all the emails going back since 2010. Of course, they keep changing position. They use the word process. I'm sent between the Garda corporate, the Garda legal, the chief state solicitor. But I told them I have written to Drew Harris. He is a father. He should understand what it's like for children to be vulnerable and hurt. All of them have their own stories. It is absolutely unacceptable for any individual to hide behind a degree or a, or a Freemason club or a Knights of Column or whatever different clubs that they have that run this country. It is not acceptable. And I, as a woman, and my children and you have a much higher authority than any of them in the triangle does, because the minute you contract your soul away to them, you are believing the biggest liar. And I'm telling each one of them that this 
this recordings that I have done, I'm not afraid of them. What's the worst they can do? Kill me? They've killed other people. They've killed them by leaving them to rot. And some of them have actually been killed. But I'm not afraid to die, but I will not live anymore in silence. And it's taken me this long at 50 years in my life to say this is not acceptable. And for every woman and every man and every child that's out there and has been made feel like nothing to the degree that they have to cover their mouth, stick a needle into their arms. And we are now being treated like a herd. It is not acceptable. And you have power, even in the tiniest ways, to say no. And to the guardie that are out there, have you any idea the power that you have under your oath? That if 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 of you stood together with our diaspora of 90 million, we could have stopped the steam train of this new reset that is happening. And I am only a woman and I am only a mother and I am not perfect. And I apologize to my children and to myself for every time I overrode my instinct because I allowed my mind or somebody else's brain tell me I wasn't enough. And that's why I am so grateful that you gave me this place. And I had to talk to both my daughters who have also recorded their stories and they're wonderful girls and said, is it okay now that I do this? Lisa, mental toughness is what's springing up to me here. The battered and bruised woman that has been dragged, dragged through the courts. And as we started this journey, you know, came here from Italy because you thought it was going to protect you. And it's been quite the opposite. And in that time, you've had to learn, you know, being an, an intelligent woman with a, with a photographic memory has helped you. Oh God, it has, yeah. And has helped so many other people as well. You won't realise it, but it will. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. Well, I know the women, for example, that have come to me over the years and they tell me their story about the courts. And within two minutes, I say, was that Katria McDonald and Jim Sheehan or was that? I know all of the names and I know exactly how it gone. And they're afraid to talk out because of the so-called in-camera rule. And they're afraid because their children will be taken. I, I have done this for all Explain of you. Explain to people what the in-camera rule is. Well, the in-camera rule, Judge Judy came over from America. And if you look it up on the Internet, she said that the in-camera rule only protects incompetent and corrupt judges and barristers. And it's supposed to protect the family's privacy. So that's the premise of it. And it's it's right to protect. I mean, as an arbitrator as well, you know, we offer in camera, offer it. I offer it because I always deal with the arbitration after the dispute rather than having a previous clause. So they write it for the situation, but they can have it in camera, which gives a certain amount of dignity and privacy in theory. But what it actually does, as Judge Judy said, who also acts as an arbitrator on her programs, actually, that's what she does. And an arbitrator is trained to be a high court judge, but not just for here for multi-jurisdictions. So I don't know how many judges in Ireland have been trained to be judges, but I was trained and I took it very seriously. But 
the yin camera rule is the biggest abuse. And behind it, it's the same as what the church used to do when they put the abuse victims. But what it does is it makes a woman or children, if they were to speak out publicly, they can be imprisoned and their children will be taken off them. And it has protected the incompetent and the corrupt and the the shameful good barristers. I did a video, a, a radio interview a few years ago about arbitration in Cork Radio, and they actually got so much response, they brought me back to debate with the solicitor. And his argument was, we're not all bad, Lisa. You know, you can't tar us with the same brush. And I'm sure the guardie would say the same. And my response to him was this. If I was a neurosurgeon, the best in the world, and my anaesthetist was a drunkard or corrupt or incompetent, and I brought you, Joe, in to do a surgery on you, and I did a perfect surgery on you, but you were dying. You died because of the incompetent anaesthetist. I can't turn around and say, but I did my bit well. And that goes the same. If any solicitor tells you that they're a good solicitor and how bad all of the others are, ask them how many have they reported to the LRSA? None. They don't do it. Ask the barristers how many they report. They can't because they wouldn't get a job. Ask the guardie how many of their colleagues that they reported. None. So I cannot sit here and say they're not all good or bad. I'll say the system doesn't support the good ones. I will say that. And they can make a big difference the way they deal with individuals when they meet them. But my God, you cannot claim to be one of the good ones when you turn a blind eye to the damage the bad ones are doing. And that goes for judges, barristers, commissioners, civil servants, the lot of them. And I will give a shout out to how individuals can work. I was reported by my ex-husband, I think, and his brother for earning a fortune in a yoga studio teaching yoga for 15 euro. And I had the inland revenue came down and the woman walked in in the middle of all my mayhem. And I just said, look, I don't know how much you think I'm earning, but here you go. My books are a bit of a mess. And that woman helped me. She helped me. She knew I was. So individuals underestimating the system, the power they have. And I would call to every single doctor, nurse, solicitor, and especially the young barristers. If they want to contact me, we will set up an alternative for that legal system and pull it down. And I had a senior barrister in commercial law tell me once that only the crap Barristers and solicitors work in family law because they wouldn't last two minutes in an open court. And I would agree with them on my 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 what I've seen. But it is shameful. It has to stop. We are at a crossroads now. And my story can be applied to what's happening to the Irish people and the the triumvirate of shame. That is Micheál Martin, Leo Varadkar. And your man, Lettuce, what's his name? Eamon Ryan, it is a disgrace. They are not serving the Irish people. And two TDs told me the big mistake Ireland make, the people make, is that we are not. They both said this. One of them said, we are serving a beast. And the other one said a monster. Now, on an esoteric level and a Masonic level, I know what they're talking about. And they say it's the it's the civil servants. Civil servants say it. But there is a shadow, a hidden hand. That is now a global tyranny that is strangling human spirit the way I have been actually strangled, I remember. And if we don't step into our power and they don't step into their power in the system, 
then what people are walking into is a black void that will swallow them and everyone they serve up. This is a call out to humanity now. You are making a free will choice. You have to know what you're willing to die for or be arrested for. You have to have values. You have to not be afraid to die because there are worse things than death. And I have told over and over again, those TDs and Bruce Ashmore, who's bringing my daughter to court next month, inviting her to contract with the court system. And I can tell whoever that judge is now, I am putting him on trespass notice or her and the Irish courts and state that if they harm any of us, they will be personally and legally responsible for their assets. So whatever judge now Bruce Ashmore is trying to hook in with James Cody solicitors into bringing my 20 year old to court, rather than getting their father to do the right thing, then I am putting them on notice and they can laugh and say they don't have to pay their bill of costs, but they are all gamblers on the stock market. And I'm talking to you, Bruce. And I'm talking to all of you that are afraid to face me because I have a strength that none of you have because you are nothing without your uniform or your shares or your hidden hand shakes. You have nothing. And you will never bring me to my knees because I come from a place of love and I am a mother. And you will not harm my children. Now, on your bill of costs, you can pay it. And I say this to you in the last three minutes or three seconds on your deathbed. You're going to see that your gamble didn't pay out and do as thou wilt with no consequences is a lie that you all fell for. And your black magic language that you use in the courts is an illusion. And the spiritual Ponzi scheme that you're all signed up to, pulling up the left leg of your trousers, walking around backwards, doing the rascal thing and doing the secret handshakes is pathetic. You were lied to by the ultimate liar. And you know what? That ultimate liar has invited you all now to contract finally. And you really need to know what you're doing. And I'm full of forgiveness. If any of you want to sort this out, and I invite every single victim out there of the system and in the system to pause for a minute and examine the lies that have been told to them, because the next couple of years is going to be the toughest humanity has ever faced. And we can do it because look what I have gone through. I can't even believe this is my story, Joe. I think if everybody stops and really looks at what's going on or listens to what you've said deep down instinct will tell them that things are not right they are not right joe do no harm and do not take someone's property they're the simple base do no harm do not take people's property and that includes their bodily integrity and their mind and their self-worth. And I require my property to be returned. And I require all of these people to let us go. And I require them to do the same 
to everybody else. Because if they don't, they are making a big bet. And I have knowledge that they can never comprehend that has given me the strength. And I am telling them, I'm putting you on notice from source, from grace, from whatever anyone feels is. This is a gentle reminder to each one of you that lifetime after lifetime, you've had an option. This is it now. It's a journey. It's an, it's a, it's a shocking story. It's, it's, I was going to say amazing, but no, it's a shocking story. And thank God you have the wisdom, the strength and grace is on your side for you to get through it. Where from here? Where from here? We'll wrap it up. We have about five minutes left. Where from here, Lisa? Well, I will be issuing my next bill to the state. Um, they are in debt to myself and my daughters. Um, there is no requirement for fact to be argued in court. Um, personally, when I am liberated externally, because I am free internally, um, I am going to recreate that center of peace. And anybody will be welcome there because life has alchemized me and people talk about DNA and special families and special this and that. That's rubbish. That's just the car you drive. But I've been blessed in this lifetime with the strength that comes from way beyond me, way beyond me, Joe. I'm just I'm just a nobody. And I've been given a brain that can cope and see things clearly. It's it's like a hand on my shoulder and arms around me. Um, but right now, none of us have anything to lose except our spirit and our soul. And we need to stand up and say no. And there you have it, folks. It's Lisa Temple sharing her story. And I'd like if you resonate, this, this resonates with you or, you know, you've been shocked you know, it's time to stand in your own two shoes and take responsibility for yourselves and know that you're not alone. And if you are a victim of anything that Lisa's talking about, remember there's other people out there exactly like you that can offer you strength and hopefully offer you hope in this world of madness, in the world of madness. Yeah, and just one more word, Joe, just for people who pick up newspapers and read things and rumors and smear campaigns and all of that. Just, just remember you're feeding on another person's pain and that could be you tomorrow. Judgment. Don't and judge. that could, nobody is safe right now with the systems that are in place. Nobody is safe with the individuals who believe that they're not responsible. It's all going to have to change. Lisa, Question, why have you decided to speak out now? That's a very good question, Joe. Um, I think primarily I've, I've had to observe everything that's gone on um, to the degree that I was able to see things clearly. And when you're in a hurt place, you, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Um, I have exhausted right up to the very top um, you know, Drew Harris, the Attorney General and the Minister of Justice through all the processes. So I've gone through absolutely every route. And 
humanity is at this crossroads at the moment. And I recognize that the world is not a safe place to give birth or to be a child or to fall in love or to make love or to die. And they are the sacred paths in life. And as I look at what's going on in the world at the moment, I see on the macro level, a huge parallel with the experiences I've gone through in my life. And I think the ability to connect the micro to the macro is really important at the moment because life and love itself are under threat. And I think they are trying to actually eradicate women and mother from uh, the essential place they have in life because women are the portal of spirit into this world. I also noticed that I've had a remarkable uh, set of experiences in life which have given me an unusual broad width of um, perspectives on things. So, you know, I started on my journey at nine years of age with um, a mentor called Brother David and he brought me through things that we weren't taught in school like philosophy and law, theology, um, the different forms of the hidden hands, you know, uh, quantum physics, mathematics. So it was almost like I was prepped from a very early age and that he had some knowledge that maybe the world was going in this direction and the tools he gave me. And I remember him writing a poem for me before he died and it was called Bloom Where You're Planted. And it reminds me of the lotus flower that grows out of a swamp that each of us now have to, in whatever position we're in, really step forward in our authentic, raw self and speak our truth. And, you know, the, the background of like I studied classics, so I've seen empires fall and rise, or at least the his story that we were told, which when we look at the media today and see how false it is in front of our eyes, you can only imagine how false history is. Nevertheless, cycles happen and we are now at an enormous crossroads for humanity. And then back to mother, um, I've realized that there is an attack on women, on mother. And if there is attack on women and mother, there is an attack on men because we are mothers of all the men that are currently driving this had a mother. Um, I also had a dream when I was in Hong Kong, very, very clear in around February 2005. And in that dream, I was on a beach and my two small children at the time were playing in the sand and I could feel the sun on my back. But then suddenly I felt like a whip on my back and I let out a yelp and the girls looked up and I got a sense that whatever was behind me, um, I couldn't look behind but that I needed to protect my children. And this whip continued and continued and I could feel the wounds and the blood happening and I kept smiling down and the children kept playing in the sand. But then when the pain became unbearable, I, I straightened up a little bit against the pain and my back healed. And the dream made me, well, it just gave me a clarity on something, but I woke up and I, I said out loud and my ex-husband was there, it will stop in this generation. And I didn't fully know what that meant, but I do believe that each single human carries seven generations of 
baggage through DNA memory, through their genes, through their experiences. So we are all a product of all the decisions that all our ancestors made and it has arrived at this point. So I went about with that dream in my heart. Um, I had to step into my truth then knowing that it was going to be difficult, but I had no idea how difficult it was been. And when I was shipwrecked, you know, in my, my marriage and I had this ideal ideology that we could always have a peaceful closure with both of my relationships. But for some reason, you know, sometimes if you pull away from somebody that there is a love there, they can't accept that. And they almost need to beat you down to the ground. And that's a little bit like what's happening at the moment on a broader level with humanity. So on the mothering thing, um, one of the things I didn't mention was that um, my ex-husband and the Asian lady tried to take my embryo um, that were frozen from IVF. My first daughter was IVF and there was, I think, 29 of them. <clears throat> and the Rotunda Hospital called me about seven or eight years ago and they said, look, he's come in and he's trying to take, they're trying to take the embryo. And I, I realized how important contract law then was and also the legislation in Ireland, because if they had managed to take those, like my babies, then, then I, there was nothing I could do. So I had to read the contract at the time and I realized how important contract law was, but I also realized how vulnerable we all are now as mothers and moving forward where AI and AI as in artificial insemination, artificial intelligence, they are trying to wipe us out and everything that this uh, construct, this pyramid is doing at the moment is to wipe out the male and the female and the mother and the father. So I felt that maybe my story when I spoke out <clears throat> would assist people in wherever they are to see that they are making free will choices that are contracting with something that wants to fundamentally eradicate everything biological and natural and divine in human spirit and replace it by moving things to machine, to a herd and to ultimately their ideal view, which is their invented pleroma or source, which would be AI. And that's not possible, by the way, they're going to fail. Um, so that's where we stand at the moment, Joe, on the 26th of October, you know, of this year, we are at the crossroads of that happening and they're coming after the children now. And they came after my children. And my story is an explanation to anyone who wants to listen in my authentic self as to how and what was required by me to protect my daughters from the exactly the same pathonous or envious and destructive energy that tried to annihilate us. Um, I also would say that I was very, very naive um, about the fact that I trusted our guards, our government, our systems, our judges, just like the way at the moment um, people are trusting the experts, the doctors, the government. But I didn't know then what I know now is that there is an energy, 
a beast, as the TDs told me. Um, Richard Boyd Barrett and John McGuinness told me that they serve a beast, not the people. One said a beast, one said a monster. And I experienced that right up into its jaws. And I had to uh, connect to love um, because I had the most powerful, um, cruel, incompetent, corrupt, um, highest echelons of the system against me. And I survived and I'm not afraid of them anymore. And me speaking out is saying to each one of them who has been put on notice for the last week or two that I was going to do this, Drew Harris, you know, acting as commissioner, the minister of justice, uh, the attorney general, the chief state solicitors, plus both of my exes. Um, I'm not afraid of you anymore. In fact, my heart goes out to all of them because they're living a lie. They've built everything on a lie. And I'm sure deep down, they don't sleep very well. And there's always time for them to find their courage or their wives or their partners or people that know them or their colleagues and say, we are participating in our own destruction and the destruction of our children. You know, it's two things that I thought of when you when you were speaking one and one is truth without taking sides. And that's what's happening at the moment. I think your courage is there. And people are contracting to the unknown because it's done, it's been done to them subtly that they're going to wake up in the screaming in this hellish place down somewhere down the road going why yeah because they thought they were doing the right thing and they realized that this stuff that's been planned now has future consequences that people can't even imagine imagine what they are because they're trusting something that they believed would protect them absolutely and it's very hard to wake people up who are pretending to be asleep as well because they've evaluated that they think that if they really pander and social virtue signal um, to this entity that it will protect them but what they haven't noticed is that the water rose first it took the elderly it took the vulnerable it took the homeless and um, it's going to now it took the small businesses but what they don't comprehend is that the program that is behind this is not programmed to stop it's programmed to be stopped and activists aren't going to do that. You know, saviors aren't going to do that. It's each single person now is being given and issued an invitation into their own truth and courage. And what I'm doing with this interview and obviously, Joe, I had to make sure that both of my daughters were old enough and willing for me to do this interview. And they listened to it. And, um, you know, one of my daughters said, wow, you really went easy on them. And I said, this isn't about me feeding the general populace with gory details of being in abusive relationships. That's between me and my partners. And they know the truth um, and the dynamic and the complexities. I said, this is about me telling people that if you hand over your power 
in tiny pieces, then someday there'll be none of you left. And the, the thing that you serve detests you for serving it because ultimately it's only a black hole. So I did pass this off by them. And, uh, um, but I've had to walk a very careful line in this interview because yes, I am speaking. I'm speaking as much as I can in a fair way, but right beside me and around me, there's a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old Lisa and all of the hurt and anger. And especially I will say to the women involved, whatever about the men, because we give birth, you know, to the two women that were triangulated by my partners and our mothers, to Judge Leonie Reynolds, to Judge Patria MacDonald, to the female Minister of Justice who's just had a baby, to um, Jennifer Cuff, the barrister of one of my partners, the, the guard, you know, shame on you. Shame on you for participating in the torture and abuse of a mother and a child for either money or for whatever other reasons you have and defending the indefensible and not doing your job. Shame on you. Lisa, thank you for coming back to the show. And remember, here at Dublin South FM, we're interviewing plenty of people around the world, conscious leaders, and that's why we have the Conscious Business Podcast, which is part of the Conscious Business Academy, offering purpose, profit and prosperity in your life through soulful selling, mindful marketing, conscious leadership and creative culture. You want to reach out to me? It's joedalton.ie. You have an awesome week and take care and look after yourself. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon.